Welcome to the Home Church Podcast. My name's Kenny, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Home Church, and we gather in Maiden, North Carolina. We're so glad you tuned in to today's episode, and we hope that this episode will help encourage you and inspire you as you continue to follow Jesus step by step. Well, hey, good morning, and welcome to Home Church. Uh, my name's Kenny, and I have uh, the unbelievable honor of serving as the lead pastor here. And um, man, I, I don't know if you guys have a favorite dessert. Anyone have a favorite dessert that you in the room? Okay, some of y'all, man. How do you not have a favorite dessert? Like, the altar will be open right after the service. We're going to pray for deliverance for you. So, uh, you know, last week I talked a little bit about the Cheesecake Factory. Question, how many of you went to the Cheesecake Factory this week after that? No one? Okay, one family did. I'm shocked. I was hoping to get some stock from the Cheesecake Factory out of sending people there. That's it. I have a favorite dessert, and so uh, there's this little small restaurant uh, in the town next to my hometown. So I grew up in Clover, uh, South Carolina, so it's just a 45 minutes away, just south of the border, and right next door to Clover is York, South Carolina, and there is a restaurant there called the Garden Cafe. Now, the Garden Cafe, it has been around for a long time, and it's moved from place to place, and, uh, but my first time going there... They had this display case of all of their desserts, and they had a thing in the display case that I saw that when I heard about it, I turned my nose up, Uh, and so they're showing all of these different things, creme brulee and this brownie with ice cream, and all that stuff sounded good, and then they had this little thing called buttermilk pie, and when I first heard it, I was like, man, are you kidding me? Like, ugh, no thank you. And then my friend, uh, my friend Ron, who I worked with, decided he was going to order a buttermilk pie. And it came, and I'm just telling you, like, I literally went to heaven in that moment. I'm just telling you. I had an out-of-life experience. It was incredible. Heaven, buttermilk pie. And so now, for years, I've been going back to the Garden Cafe to get this buttermilk pie because it is unbelievable. In fact, some of my friends and some of our staff can tell you, uh, I've driven an hour to York and ordered two weeks in advance just to bring a pie back for like a dinner or a staff meeting or something like that. Like that's how much I love this stuff, right? It is so, so good. Well, along the way, my mother's oldest sister, her name was Zelma, and Zelma got a little jealous because she liked to bake, and she thought she was an incredible uh, baker. And so I talk about buttermilk pie all the time, and finally one day she just got so frustrated, she said, you know what, I'm going to make you some buttermilk pie because I can make it better. And I was like, eh, eh. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm just. And so I come home one day, and she had made five buttermilk pies. <laughs> and my mother looked at me, and she was like, you better love them. <laughs> And so, you know, I did what any self-respecting, you know, so I go and I taste it and I'm like, oh, that's so good. Thanks, Aunt Zelma. And she was like, well, here, you can have this whole pie and I'll save these other ones for you. And I was like, thanks. Listen, I, I love her, and I was so grateful for her heart. She wanted to serve me well. She, she wanted to please me. She knew I loved buttermilk pie. But, y'all, I'm just here to tell you, like, can't nobody touch the Garden Cafe's buttermilk pie. Uh, when pastor appreciation season comes around or my birthday, like, listen, you know, listen, Cheesecake Factory, shoes, buttermilk pie. Y'all, listen, I'm trying to make it easy for y'all, all right? But, 
but I love buttermilk pie, okay? And, and there's, she tried them. She tried to make them. And along the way, for several years, every now and then I'd come over and she'd be like, hey, I made a buttermilk pie. And I'm like, oh, man, great. And the thing was, it just wasn't the same. I don't know what it was uh, because, listen, the Garden Cafe's buttermilk pie is like, now it's, it's world-renowned. I mean, it's been in like I, I, magazines and like Southern Comfort and all these different places. And my aunt's out, she just, there was something missing, right? Have you ever had just something like a food or something and just something is just not quite right? There's just something missing. And you sit around and you think, oh, does this need more sugar? Does this need more paprika? I mean, I, I, I don't know, salt, pepper, whatever, whatever it is. It was just missing something. And, uh, and I don't know what it was still to this day, and God bless her, my Aunt Zelma is in heaven, and I don't have to eat her buttermilk pie anymore. I'll just go straight to Garden Cafe and get exactly the right one. But there was something missing. And, and I think about that, and, and it really, it led me, because we've been walking through this whole series, and as I was thinking about wrapping up this series, and well, this whole series has been around this idea of rubble to revival. And today I want to I show you, and we're going to wrap this thing up today, I want to show you how we got towards the end of the book of Nehemiah, and things were kind of working, and we just weren't quite there. There was just something missing for revival to finally break free. So I want to show you that today. So if you, you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start making your way to Nehemiah, uh, and we're going to start in chapter 7. And as you get there, um, we're going to have Scripture on the screen. Uh, scripture will be at my feet if you're watching online. Uh, you can also pull up the Home Church app, the Version Bible app. Both of those have the sermon notes that you can plug right along and follow along today. So I, I quickly, because we do have some folks who are new with us today, um, I want to quickly recap where we've been over the last four weeks. We started... Uh, in just a few weeks ago, looking at the entire book of Nehemiah. I shared with you that it's literally my favorite book in all of Scripture. I love the story. There's lots of leadership principles in it. Uh, and, and the story is really powerful. And we met a young man named Nehemiah who had heard about his hometown, uh, Jerusalem, and how it had been exiled. Uh, this was during the Babylonian exile. Uh, people had left Jerusalem. And in fact, the, the wall of Jerusalem had been torn down. Its gates were on fire, and the city was left just ruined. And so Nehemiah has a visit from his brother, and he's asking about how his hometown is doing, and, and his brother says, man, it, it ain't good. And, and there, God puts a burden over Nehemiah's heart to do something about it, and he also led him to a place of, of conviction, understanding what led to it happening to begin with. And so in week two, we talked about how when we have conviction over the sins in our life, that's God's way of trying to allow us to break free and step into what he's calling us into. And we had a beautiful Sunday where we literally took chains and we saw them be broken through the power of confession. We said that confession crushes chains. And we saw incredible stories coming of freedom after that. And what it did for Nehemiah was it gave him the freedom to actually step in to what God had for him to no longer be bound by the things that had held him back. So he asked for permission from his boss, King Artaxerxes, to go back to Jerusalem and to do something about the wall of Jerusalem being torn down. And so uh, last week, we, we talked about how, uh, well, forgive me, two weeks ago, we talked about how then there's a call to action. 
Nehemiah went and surveyed all of the land, and he stood in front of the people, and he casted vision to them and said, hey, we can rebuild this wall. It's going to get us away from our disgrace. It's going to bring us back to a place of strongholds, and it's going to be a really powerful thing for God's name. We're going to do this. And so then they started to band together and started to do the work of rebuilding. And then last week, we talked about how anytime you do something for God, and especially in Nehemiah's story, they were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, and this would be a stronghold for the name of God, that anytime we do something for God's purposes, you can count on opposition coming against you. So we talked about last week. And we talked about how opposition comes from without and sometimes from within, but God calls us to persevere, to keep our eye on the prize. When he calls us to something that he's going to fund it and provide a way to it, and we saw Nehemiah and his friends and the entire nation band together and they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem in just 52 days. And man, that was encouraging for us and we walked out of here singing this, uh, this anthem that anything is possible. Because if a wall can be rebuilt in 52 days, what cannot be done through God? And so here today, we're going to wrap up this series that we've been walking through, and we're going to walk through the rest of the book of Nehemiah, and I want to show you how we get to the last part, because we've walked from rubble to repentance to restoration to rebuilding, and so today, how do we go from rebuilding to revival? So here's what the Bible tells us happens in uh, the rest of this story. Nehemiah chapter 7 in verse 4, it says this. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So they, they had rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, but there were still not a lot of people in the city. There were still houses that weren't rebuilt. And I know oftentimes, especially last week, we walked out thinking, all right, anything is possible. They rebuilt the wall in 52 days, like revival is here. But the reality is, is that's not true for the nation of Israel. And that's not always true for us in our lives either. Just because we've done the work of rebuilding something doesn't necessarily mean that revival then is going to take place. I've seen this happen. Uh, some of you know this, some of you don't, but uh, I have a, a business that led me uh, along the, my last few years that helps revitalize old and dying churches. And I've met with so many churches that are struggling and dying, and they, they have this idea where they want to see revival happen amongst them, but they don't really know how. They lost their heart, they lost their way, they, they, they stopped caring about anything that happened outside of their walls, they got way more, uh, it, they, they were cared way more about their committee meetings than about people meeting Jesus, and all of a sudden they're just in this place, but then some people gather together and they're like, yo, this ain't it, like something has to be different here, and they want to see something different happen. And I would meet with them, and they would have a heart to renovate their space, and they would try new programming, and they would do all these things, and then all of a sudden, they would think, okay, we rebuilt the church, now where's revival? And many times, it, it still doesn't work. Revival never comes into that church because there's something missing. This is true in your personal relationships as well. If you've ever had difficulty in your marriage, you've had difficulty in a relationship, you know that you can do the work of trying to rebuild. You can work to rebuild trust. You can do all of the work to try to fix things. But at some point, there's something that tends to be missing for some reason. 
And this is why marriages still, even though people have worked to try to save them, still fall apart because something is missing. It's the same thing that happens when you're other, in your other relationships as well. You've had a friend hurt you. You've had uh, maybe a boss who's hurt you. And you do the work to try to restore and rebuild that relationship. And yet you know that in the end, you're like, hey, we're good. I've forgiven you and we're good. But the truth is, is that there's still a little something in you that hasn't quite forgiven them. And you don't actually bring your whole heart to the relationship anymore. And so it just seems, eh, ever since that happened, something's missing. This is true with the nation of Israel here as well. This is, this is what's happened because they've done the same thing. They've done the work of rebuilding. Uh, they, they've done all of this stuff trying to get to a place where they would see revival, and yet revival has still not happened. People are not coming back to the town. Why is that? The reality is, is that we, you hear this all of the time in our culture. People say, we want revival. We want revival, right? You've heard that. Here's how I see it play out. People say, we want revival. And uh, we have people who will protest. Uh, well-meaning believers will go and protest because they think revival happens in the schoolhouse. And so they will go and say, well, the reason that the culture is the way it is is because they took the Ten Commandments out of the schoolhouse. And now we can't pray in schools, and the Ten Commandments are no longer in the, in the courtrooms. That's why. Let me lovingly say this to you. But the same people standing out there protesting, looking for the government to be the fix and to lead to revival, are the same people who don't even know their word well enough to tell you what the Ten Commandments are and where they're found in Scripture. And they certainly don't know that Jesus went back and said, hey, I know you know about these ten, but I got two that really matter." So we're out here protesting, looking for revival in all the wrong places. There's something missing. There's something missing. Even for us, like we talk about habits a lot, right? We want to see revival. And even as a church, we've been talking about maybe changing some of our habits this year. We focused in on three things as a church this year. Number one is that we would have an everyday relationship with Jesus, This is something we've been talking about all year, that you and I would have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Number two is that we would know God's word. We would spend more time knowing God's word. And then number three is that because of those things, we would move from just being a believer to actually being a disciple, and there is a difference. But all of those things have everything to do with habits, but yet sometimes people still don't see revival happen in their own heart, even though their habits are right. Because something's missing. The same thing that's missing in your marriage is the same thing that's missing in those relationships. It's the same thing missing in your relationship with God. It's the same thing missing in revival in the heart of the nation of Israel. And it's the same thing that is holding us back from revival right here in this town. And it is not your habits. It is your heart. It's always been the heart. It's always been the heart. I want to show you this. So the story goes a little further. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 2. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, who's the priest, uh, brought the law. This is the Torah, or or God's word. He brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate, 
in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now, interestingly, listen. We're asking you guys to show up to walk our town and pray for like 30 minutes. My dude Ezra had him come and stay like half the day. You're welcome. I'm just saying, you're welcome. I'm not asking you for a whole half of your day, all right? Verse five, Ezra opened the book. So this is, he's opening God's word. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as it was open, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, this is where it starts to turn for them because now they start to turn to God. The word of God is open, and no longer are they worried about rebuilding. They're worried about the thing that matters most, which is turning their focus to God. And I love how it sets this, sets this example of corporate worship where they're coming together and they're lifting their hands and they're praying. When the word of God is read, they actually stood out of reference. When the pastor was preaching, they said, amen. I'm just saying, oh man, thank you, right? See, it ain't me making it up. It comes right here from the word. It's, it's okay to amen. There's all these things that are happening, but what, what I want you to see is They had done the work of rebuilding. Revival had not happened. So they started to turn their focus to God, to God's word, to praising him, to worshiping him, to bowing before him. And now all of a sudden, we're about to see something happen. Now, this is where, again, listen, I love you. But man, I can't finish out this series without like giving us good, strong, healthy challenge to where God's taking us. Man, I see this, and, and I look at that, and I'm like, yo, that's a church on fire, right? This is people standing there, hands up, saying amen, like they're bowing in worship. They're not afraid that someone else saw them worshiping. They're not afraid to come to the altar. They're not afraid to shout out loud about what God's doing in their life and in their nation. Man, we got people who would absolutely, last, last Friday night, last night watching football, next Sunday when the Panthers start playing and hopefully start scoring some touchdowns, just saying, like, we got no problem. Hands up, let's go, we're high-fiving, like, we're butt-slapping, like, we're doing all the stuff, like, we're celebrating, right? But God forbid we come in the house of the Lord and we hear about anything is possible. We hear about Jesus paying the price for our sin, and we're like, sounds good, Pastor. That's good. That's a good word. What? Listen, again, I've said this before. I'm not telling y'all to stand up, run the aisles, and do all this crazy stuff. I'm saying respond to God. Respond to who he is. Respond to what he's doing in your life. And I'm telling you, when God stirs up in you, the response is not let me sit on my hands. It just ain't it. We have people who, when their kids score a soccer goal, And when their kids score a run, they'll be running laps. They'll be high-fiving. My kid's the best. You're the best. You're going to go pro. We're going to make tons of money. Like, we're so excited. And in just a few weeks when I present the gospel and hundreds of people find their way in here and we see hands lifted all over the place responding to the gospel, I promise you this, it better not be a little golf clap of like, amen, that's good. Thank you, Jesus. Like, I'm gonna pull, we're gonna pull out confetti guns, like streamers, like gongs. I'm just saying, like, I just don't understand how the world can celebrate better than we can. How? How? Let me say this. I, I did, listen, my headset's coming off because I'm sweating and I'm preaching today. 
Let me say this. I, I'm not saying this to embarrass you or, or give you a hard time. I, I'm saying this as your pastor and as your leader to call you to something, to open you up, to waken up your eyes. That I pray the Spirit would stir something up in you today to see this, right? I, I want to share a quote with you. Uh, there, there's an old pastor named uh, Leonard Ravenhill. Here's what he says about uh, revival. Um, he says, in revival, God is not concerned about filling empty churches, He's concerned about filling empty hearts. See, we've been talking about take the town, and a lot of people can misunderstand this idea that we're doing this for the name of home church. And I want to, again, say publicly, this has nothing to do with the name of home church. This has everything to do that we are praying that Jesus would take this town that he would sweep across this place, that he would revive hearts, that he would revive us as a body who has fallen asleep. We're in a slumber. No wonder we're just laying around. We need to be revived. It takes a change of heart. That's the missing ingredient to revival. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those, Israelites, uh, dis- the Isra- those of Israelite descent had separated themselves. I want you to say that. Separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. I want to call back to week two of this series. Remember how we said that when God puts conviction over our heart that it leads us to confession? Nehemiah started as the leader, and then here we are. We see the nation of Israel doing this exact same thing. There's a conviction over their heart. Their heart changes, and it leads them to confession, right? We see this playing out again. This right here, confession of sins, is the bubbling up, the beginning bubbles of revival, That's where it starts, right there. Because revival is about God changing hearts. And when we are confessing our sin, that is God doing a work on our heart. You know, uh, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, Last year, uh, I don't know if you guys heard about this thing. There was a a revival that broke out in our country uh, at a place called Asbury University. Anyone hear about that? Did you guys hear about that? Yeah. Yeah. So there was this revival, and real simple, just a normal chapel service, this young man who normally preaches, preaches, and then uh, he takes off, and some students just stuck around and started to confess their sin, and three and a half weeks later, uh, the, the heart of the nation had been turned towards this, so much so that my pastor friend Andy and I, we actually flew up there to go, and we just, man, let's see what's going on. I, I, I want to get in this. And what I saw, yes, I saw people being saved. Yes, I saw deliverance. Yes, I saw healing. But you know what was prevalent amongst what I saw? It was confession of sin. It was hearts being changed. It was young men and young women standing in front of their peers confessing sexual sin, confessing pride, confessing worry and anxiety and depression, like confessing all of these things. That is the change of a heart. That is the start of revival. That is the key. That's the missing ingredient to revival is a changed heart. 
So repentance leads to restoration. Restoration leads to rebuilding. Rebuilding, you know what happens when you rebuild a wall? It creates separation, right? So a wall creates separation. Here's what's crazy. This was the thing that had been missing all along because this is what God called for us. Not to be separated away from people, but be, to be set apart, to be holy. This is what God has called you and I, his sons and daughters, to, to be holy, to be set apart. That's, worth, that's what the word holy means. It means to be set apart. That's the difference. I want you to see this. There's an old pastor, his name's Steve Camp. He says this, prayer is the burden of revival. Repentance is the breakthrough of revival. Evangelism, telling people about Jesus, is the blessing of revival. And holiness is the bounty of revival. This is what happened amongst the people of God. Their revival started to happen in their heart and it led them to repentance and that's where things started to separate because then they started to separate themselves from the rest of the world to be holy and righteous in the ways of the Lord. This is what he called us to. In fact, uh, this is not gonna show up on your screens, but this is what Peter reminds us as a church in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine. He says, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy, set-apart nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is the difference. This is the missing ingredient. A change of heart leads us to being holy, set apart. That's where we need to be. That's what he's calling us to. And so now we get to the end of this story. And we've been walking through it. We've seen all of the pieces come together, rubble to rebuilt. And now I want you to see, we see revival happen in the nation. Look at this. Nehemiah chapter 11, starting in verse one. <laughs> I love this. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every 10 of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. I want you to see this. This is beautiful. Because Webster defines revival as this. It is an act or an instance of reviving, the state of being revived, to bring back to life. We have this town that had been exiled. We have this town that was broken down and in ruins and people had left it. And now God puts conviction over the heart of one man to come back and to lead and to rebuild. And they did, and they rebuilt, and they confessed, and their hearts were changed. And now there was no one in the town, and now by the time we get to revival, it looks like this. There were so many people in the town and trying to get in the town that they had to go to a lottery system to decide who could be in and who had to stay out. I just need you to know that when revival happens, overflow happens. You can't keep people out because they're trying to get in. They're gonna wrestle to get in. They're gonna fight to get in. They're gonna take a lottery number to get in, whatever it takes to get into the presence of God, to get into the house where something is happening in the hearts of people. This is what revival looks like right there. What once was an exiled town is now a hub of God's people set apart, 
holy, righteous, following in the ways of the Lord. Revival. It's beautiful. But the thing is, is that, and, and I love this story of Nehemiah. And I love this story of the nation of Israel. And I love that in 52 days, the wall was rebuilt. But the idea of revival has always been our God's plan. I want you to see this. He showed us an example of it with the wall being rebuilt in 52 days. But the ultimate revival has already happened. The only reason that our hearts can change is because our God has given a way for me and you to be reconciled to him, to know him, for him to be able to connect to us. Because we were born dead in our trespasses, in our sin. And there is no way to God except through Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's no other way. The only way to be saved is under one name. One name, his name is Jesus. You see, the ultimate revival has already happened. God's only son came to earth. He lived a perfect life and still, despite that, paid the price for your sin and mine by being hung on a cross, convicted, crucified, actually dead. They put him in a tomb and hell thought it had won. But three days later, I love this, the ultimate revival story, our God breathed again. He took another breath. He lived again. He got up out of the tomb and he provided an opportunity that because he lives, you and I can live as well. We're called to put our trust in him. Romans tells us that if we believe that Christ Jesus is Lord and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and we believe that he was raised from the dead, that we would be saved. His resurrection brings revival to us. It changes our hearts. And it's beautiful. And so because of that change, because of that faith, because of that belief, anything is possible. And when we put our trust in God, when we put our trust in Jesus, he can change our hearts as well, which will bring revival in our own life, in our own marriages, with our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbors, our community, our town, our county, our country. You want to see revival? I've said it every single week. Revival starts in the heart of people. If you want to see revival in this town, it starts in me and you. That God would change our heart. That we would be hungry for him and his presence. That we would be hungry to spend time in his word and have him impart wisdom and knowledge and speak to us that he would show favor and work in our life, that we would be able to walk with him all of the days of our life, and surely we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He has good plans. He loves you. And by the way, he loves this world. It is our God's desire to see revival happen. And it only happens one way. Changing hearts in people. That's it. That's our prayer over this season, church, is that God would do a reviving work in us, the church, the house, that he would revive us to be hungry for him again. And in that, he would use us in our town to draw men and women to himself, to bring revival into our town, to revive what has been dead spiritually. 
to bring it back to life. Revival is at hand. I've seen the bubbling up of it, the boiling already. And I'm telling you, over the next few weeks and over the coming months, I believe you're going to see the evidence of it as well. And he wants to use you to be a part of it. He wants to do a work in your heart. He wants to change you. He wants to change us. He wants to change our town. The only way? Jesus. That's it. It's always been the answer. It will always be the answer. We already sang this once today. I'll invite you to your feet. The fact that real revival has happened, we can see it once again. Our Jesus, who was dead and buried, came back to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we put our trust in that, anything is possible. I love how this, I love what this this song says. Out of the silence came a roaring lion, and now death has no more victory. The victory has been claimed for Christ Jesus. He is our living hope. His name is Jesus, and he is our God. He is who we put our trust in. He is who will change hearts. He is who will bring revival to this town. We believe that he is our living hope. So come on, church. Let's sing about it. Let's believe it, and let's trust that he is for us and with us, and we're going to see revival happen in our town. Come on now. Let's sing it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If there's anything that we can do to serve you or come alongside of you in your journey, please reach out. You can reach us at hello at myhomechurch.cc.